Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. He struck out. His hat goes down. That's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco. To the left of the bag, he turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. And welcome to our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. We're glad to have you with us. In this week's show, we'll sit down with our featured guest and American League Pitcher of the Month for July, Tyler Glass now, and talk about his 2023 campaign growing up in an athletic family, his off-season travels, and his uncanny resemblance to Cillian Murphy. Rays assistant hitting coach Dan DeMent will join the show to talk about his second year with Tampa Bay and what it's like working with some of the best hitters in baseball. Then we'll hear from Rays president of baseball operations, Eric Neander, about Tampa Bay's acquisitions at the trade deadline, including the addition of right-handed starting pitcher Aaron Savali from the Cleveland Guardians. Finally, Rays beat reporter Mark Topkin will join the program to discuss the Rays' current nine-game road trip and a look ahead to next week's homestand against the Cardinals and the Guardians. We continue on this week in Rays baseball with our featured guest, Tyler Glass. Now, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. So, you just won American League Pitcher of the Month for the month of July. That had to feel pretty good, right? Yeah, for sure. I know I had like a, like a few, like five or six good starts there, and um, I was like kind of curious, I guess, at the end of the month, and then they told me, Shin actually told me I got it, our like acupuncture guy, uh, and I was like, oh, sweet. So then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they misspelled your name, right, when they oh, tweeted yeah. that out? Yeah, what'd you think of that? I don't, I don't care, whatever. Yeah. I don't yeah, they just think someone hit a wrong button. No big deal. <laughs> I have to ask you, is this the best that you've felt in a really long time, and if so, since when? Yeah, well, I think like this season for sure, the last, just getting into more of a rhythm, the last like five, six starts have felt the best during this year for sure. And then it's hard to compare to other seasons just because like I think my stuff's maybe just a bit different. But I, yeah, I feel good. I don't know if like which one's better, but I definitely right now I'm feeling like I'm in a good rhythm. You've had a lot of injuries over the years. That has to be frustrating, right? Especially coming into this year, you're coming off of, of TJ going into that start against Cleveland in the playoffs and you're finally healthy again and then all of a sudden the oblique thing uh, comes up what's that been like for you dealing with those injuries 
Yeah, I think it was uh, part and due to like coming back last year. I think just like the, like, I guess as far as like the oblique stuff, just like trying to not rush back, but like getting the volume quick enough. Um, but it feels, it feels good. I mean, I, I definitely it wasn't something I like planned on, but it was just like a small bump in the road, kind of getting back with the oblique, and then figured all that stuff out. Now I'm feeling good. Razor in Detroit right now, taking on the Tigers. You guys have had a really good road trip, and it seems like. You guys are getting back on track and back to the team that started the year out so well. I mean, you took two out of three from Houston in Houston, two out of three from the Yankees in New York. Is that how you feel as well? Yeah, it's been good. I think, like, the start of the year was really good, and then uh, we had, like, a, a slow month there, but I just think it was only a matter of time before we picked it up, and now we're starting to play really good. Let's go back to the beginning. I know you come from an extremely athletic family. Your dad was a big water polo player and he swam back in the day greg your mom donna is a retired gymnast and she even coached at cal state northridge your older brother ted was a decathlete for Notre dame so what was it like being around so many athletes growing up as a kid and how did you become a baseball player uh it was cool i mean i just played every sport growing up my mom was always really big into it like my mom and dad wanted me to play a bunch of sports and my brother did the same thing and i just gravitated a lot towards like track and baseball and uh track was like the same season and I was like I'd rather just play baseball so I just stuck to I played football in high school too for like one year freshman year and I was like a goofy mess so I just like was trying to grow into myself and so after I think I, during my sophomore year I just stuck with baseball and it was basically year round in, in high school so I just it was yeah it was kind of the sport I was always like kind of best at and I just stuck with it and I was always like very obsessed with it and uh yeah my brother was like yeah like you said track and they, they, it was just athletics has been like a huge part of my family and uh, it was it was nice having like a good genetic pool to choose. I, to, I guess to, for my mom and dad. So yeah. Did you ever play baseball with your brother? He played when he was younger, but it wasn't really a sport. I think it was like too slow moving for him. So he loved he played football and track, and then did track in college. So he was more of like a, a track guy. Gotcha. I think judging by your size, you'd make for a pretty good water polo player, no? Uh, yeah, I just, like, who plays water polo, though, you know? Like, I don't know, it was just never, like, really, I never, I didn't really see, like, a future in it, but I never tried. I did swimming a tiny bit when I was younger, but I was like, I can just do this for fun. I don't need to, like, yeah. So have you always been a pitcher? Yeah, I, I mean, I did everything. Like, literally normal, you, like, play every position, and then I always just threw really hard, and I couldn't throw any strikes. So it was like, this could work out or it couldn't, and that was, like, kind of my whole MO until, like, I started throwing strikes, like, consistently, like, three years into the big league so it took a while yeah yeah you're from santa clarita california were you a baseball fan growing up or was it just a sport that you played uh i was i don't think i ever i didn't have like the the sit still abilities to watch a full baseball game i think it was more about like especially when i was younger i was just like i want to go out and do stuff i skateboarded a lot and like did a lot of stuff like that and i was always playing sports so i really enjoyed playing it more than watching it but it was always not like my dad always had dodger games on and stuff and we'd watch it in the backyard but i was never like start to finish watch a game i would like here and there watch baseball games but i was never like super duper into watching it. i was more into like skaters and skating and all that stuff well then who was your favorite skater growing up antoine dixon he skated or i don't anymore but he skated for baker and then like a couple other dudes like andrew reynolds and who else it was like niger houston but i think my favorite was probably uh antoine dixon and if you had to pick a baseball team that you supported when you were growing up, who would that be? The Dodgers, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And a favorite player for the Dodgers? Uh, I don't know. I, uh, 
I don't know if I really had one that I, I always remember like I thought Kershaw was pretty cool he came up when he was 20 and I remember watching those games in the background being like wow this dude's 20 this is kind of crazy <laughs> and then like Sean Green and stuff mm-hmm. when I was younger but yeah probably those two you went to William S. Hart High School in Santa Clarita, California, which is the alma mater of a former Ray, Mr. James Shields, as well as Trevor Bauer and Mike Montgomery. Have you met those guys, and did they have any kind of influence on you when you were pitching there at William S. Hart? I did. I met Trevor once. So he was a junior when I was a freshman, and he was on varsity, and he graduated after his junior year. So I didn't really get to know him at all during high school. But I talked to him once. He was really cool. And then I got to know him a bit more after, like when we both were in Pro Bowl. And then Michael Montgomery, I've talked to quite a bit. Um, I still to keep in touch with him. And then I actually just met James Shields this year in the clubhouse, like the beginning of the season. He threw out the first pitch, and that was the first time I had talked to him. And he seems like a super awesome dude. But our ga- our like age difference was so big, we never like ran into each other. But did you talk about the fact that you share an alma mater? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like the the longest, but you know, yeah, we talked about like a bunch of stuff. And then it was like, oh yeah, we both went to Hard, and it was yeah, it was cool. So when you were in high school, you committed to play college baseball at the University of Portland. I'm curious, how did you decide to go there? So I was in high school. I was like, I didn't, I just, I think it was my junior year I committed, and I was like 84, 86, and it was like a D1 school, and I went and visited, and then they like gave me a scholarship, and I was like, wow, D1, like I don't have to have to think about this my senior year, like I just wasn't like that good, I guess, and then... My senior year, I got my velo up. I think I got up to 93, but I was like 89, 91 or something like Or maybe even lower, like 87, 90, but I was hitting 90. And then pro teams were talking to me and everything. And I really liked Portland. I liked the pitching coach there a lot. But then, like, I, I think I got drafted, and then I was, like, trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I was like, I, I hate school. I don't even like – I don't like homework, so let's just do the pro ball. And they were paying me. And I said, that's easy. Let's do that. So it was as easy as that when the Pittsburgh Pirates came calling, fifth round, 2011, I hate school, I like money, let's go to the Bucks. Yeah, I think we like a negotiate. I think it was initially we negotiated a price and it wasn't good, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to school. And then like I thought the negotiations were over, and then like they, we kept, it was just kind of a strategy, I guess, and then we kept talking, and then I think we got to that final number. And I had actually talked, like thought about it for quite a bit. Because I, I, I don't know. I just I didn't really like know. And then I just remember coming home one day in my mom's car and like just having the epiphany. Like, what am I even thinking about? Like, this is so dumb. Like, it's a good amount of money, and I don't have to do homework. So it was yeah. that yeah, once it came to me, I was like, oh, duh, this is an easy decision. Do you have any regrets about not pursuing a, a collegiate baseball career? No, not really. Not really. I still had like fun and stuff in pro ball, and I always had it was it was fun to like go visit friends during the off season, like when they're all in college and stuff, and I didn't have to like worry about school. I'm sure there were certain things that would have been really fun and all that, but I think like the the route I took worked out well. So you spent a lot of time in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Favorite memory besides making your major league debut? So we'll start in the minors. You had stops all over the place. You were in Altoona for a little bit, Indianapolis. You have a favorite spot on that circuit? Uh, Indianapolis was pretty sweet as far as the city goes. I think like the experience of my first full season in West Virginia, that was pretty sweet. It wasn't like the great. I actually liked the town. It was like a little. It's just so much different from where I was from. But it was like a nice like. It just looked so much different the downtown and like the, it was your first full season. It's like kind of weird, you know. And it was like just such a like the all the memories are very much ingrained in my brain. So that and like and then like city wise like Indianapolis probably and then Durham's sick too. So I've been there a few times. You toiled away in the minors for a little bit, and then you made your major league debut in July of 2016. What do you remember about, about that outing for Pittsburgh? Uh, I remember being very nervous. I remember them calling me the day before two days, and I, it was a day game against the Cardinals, and I just remember being, like, super nervous. But I ended up pitching fine. Like, I had, like, four no-hit innings in the beginning, and then I ended up giving up, like, four runs or something. I don't know what it was. But 
it wasn't like terrible. Yeah. And then uh, I just remember it being like a kind of a crazy experience and like it very still vivid in my brain. And like I just think I was, yeah, I was like, and then it was like after that, it was like two years of doing bad. So it was like, <laughs> that was a little weird, but it was awesome because it like helped me. It was, it was nice to, like, do bad because then, like, all the other times... Like, after you do bad for two years, you can't really get any worse than that. So, like, now when I struggle, I'm like, not that hard. Like, it's fine. Yeah. And you were teammates with Garrett Cole for a little while. Did you get to know him in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I was with him for a while. He was the same uh, draft as me, just out of college. So we weren't on the same team really ever other than Pittsburgh. But, like, in the, I always knew him in, like, spring and instructional league. And I've known him for a long time. And then we shared a team for a little bit there. And you faced each other in the playoffs one year, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was in Houston, yeah. yeah. So you were starting for the Pirates for a couple of years. And then in 18, I think they made the decision that, you know what? He's probably better off in the bullpen. So you made 34 relief appearances for Pittsburgh then. And then around the deadline, which... For us, it was just a couple of days ago. You were traded to the Rays and immediately inserted back into the rotation. Were you kind of relieved to get a change of scenery and to start starting again? Yeah, I mean, it was nice that they had a lot of confidence in me. And I, and I know, like, they always kind of just – they were, like, very good about it, I guess, like, just telling me, like, your stuff is really good. Just simplify your approach, everything like that. I was excited to get traded. I was sad to leave all my friends and stuff, but I, I definitely needed to get out of there and, like, get a, a fresh start. I think just being in the bullpen and, like, being a back-end guy wasn't, like, I just don't know if I was getting any better. And then, so coming to the Rays and having that fresh start was, like, was awesome for me, yeah. Well, I have to ask, because our listeners are going to wonder, have you seen yourself in Oppenheimer yet? I have. I went I went to the movies with my girlfriend and saw it. It was good. I really liked it. What do you make of, of you and Cillian Murphy being each other's doppelgangers, though? I mean, it's it's pretty spot on. Yeah, I, I do think we look alike. I think certain pictures, not really. And then, like, I don't really know what he looks like in person, but I definitely see it for yeah. sure. Like, we definitely have, like, a, some similarities. Yeah. I think you two are going to have to meet at some point, right? Yeah, well, I think he lives far away, so I don't know if he's going to come to a Rays game or anything, but maybe maybe one day we'll meet each other. I think he was asked about you in a recent interview, and he said, I think he's a lot better at pitching than I am. Yeah, I've never seen that, too. And, uh, and then the guy's like, yeah, you're better acting. And, like, that's that's definitely true. So, yeah. Was that one of the better movies that you've seen recently? Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Like, the way it was filmed and directed, and Christopher Nolan just uh, good at everything. So, it was, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Let's talk about your tattoo. Can I see it real quick? I know we're, this is on audio. Yeah, there it is. So it says no juice. It's from, uh, it's a little boozy song. Is that right? There's like a bunch of, it was at the same time that Marshawn Lynch was doing those interviews and the media, he like wouldn't talk to the media. And then like, you know, it would just be like, I'm here so I don't get fired. Like next question. Or like, he would just say yes or no. And they asked him what his pregame song was. And he's like, no juice. And it was just like a funny, and I liked Boosie at the time. And I had a friend who liked him and it was just like a random funny tattoo. <laughs> so when did you get that? I lived in New York in 2000, I don't remember the year, but it was 2016 or 17. Okay. And yeah, I was in New York, uh, and I was just, uh, we were like hanging out, and I wanted to get a tattoo, and, I was, you know, and then we got a tattoo. Yeah. But why didn't you get it on, I don't know, your arm, your back, your leg? A lip is like, can, you can hide it, and it's just like a funnier spot, I think, yeah. <laughs> and did it hurt when you got the tattoo? Not really. Like, all the ones I have, I never, I didn't really feel. It was kind of strange. I don't know. I think, too, under there, it's a lot of, like, dead skin and stuff, so it's really not that hard to get it there. And then I also have to know, when you're away from the diamond, what are you doing? How is Tyler Glass now spending his time? Um, like in the off season, I like to travel a lot, and like I like food. I don't know if that's like a hobby, but I sure. like like that, and like just 
workout, travel, food, that type of stuff. Like I have a boat, so I'll do that. I'll go do boating activities and like just try to travel around as much as I can. And then in season, it's basically just like baseball and like the, I like the constant travel of the season and going to new places and like seeing cities and stuff. And yeah. uh, so that's kind of basically it in season. So tell, I mean, are you a big road trip guy, or you fly to a certain region and explore when you land? It's, I would you kind of do that, like just pick a certain, like, so every year would be somewhere different. Like I'll go to like Europe one year, I'll go to like South America this year. Like I'll do like, a, I'm just trying to go to a bunch of different places. And like, I've always like traveling a lot. So just seeing it's going somewhere and like seeing a place for one or two weeks and then, and then getting back and then doing it again in the off season, like a following year. I lived in Spain for a couple of years oh, teaching okay. English, favorite spot over in Europe and then favorite spot in South America. Where are you going in South America? I'm going to go to Peru. So like, or I'm going to go to Lima. And then we're going to do, like, Machu Picchu and all that stuff. So that'll be pretty sweet. And I'm going to go to Mexico at some point, too. But in Europe, my favorite place was, I like, uh, well, this is Denmark, I guess. But I went to yeah. Copenhagen. I really like Copenhagen. I like Amsterdam a lot. Paris was okay. It was kind of cool. The food was awesome. Yeah, yeah. But I think Amsterdam and, like, Copenhagen was pretty sweet. Did you go to Noma when you were in Copenhagen? That's the number one restaurant in the world, I think, right? Yeah, I, I did. I went with my brother. It was yeah. cool. We, like, rode bikes and stuff and then went to, to Noma. It was, How was that place? Was it amazing? It was awesome. It was a really cool experience. And then, like, yeah, they took, like, really good care of us. And, like, the experience itself was awesome. Like, the whole restaurant's insane, too. Like, it was great. And, like, that whole town in that area is, like, it's kind of nuts. They have that little skate park in that, like, weird, like, lawless town. I forgot what it's called. Christiania. Yeah, I went to Christiania with them. It was really, really sweet. It was just such a different experience. It was a lot of fun. So I think I'm going to have to start calling you Anthony Bourdain, right? You're, you are the Tampa Bay Rays version of Anthony Bourdain. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain. I don't think I'm as cool as him, but, yeah, or as good of a chef or understand food as much. But, yeah, that's a cool comparison, I guess. Well, he's, he's got some years yeah. on you, but we really appreciate you taking the time. Tyler Glass now, best of luck the rest of the season. Congratulations on being named AL Pitcher of the Month again. And we'll go to our first break, but when we come back, we'll hear from Ray's assistant hitting coach Dan Dement about his second season with Tampa Bay and a look back at how he landed in St. Petersburg. Plus, we'll check in with Rays President of Baseball Operations, Eric Neander, about the Rays' busy trade deadline. And we'll wrap it all up with Rays beat reporter Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times as we reflect on the team's successful road trip and a look ahead to a homestand against St. Louis and Cleveland. That's all coming up next on the Rays Baseball Network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball with Rays assistant hitting coach Dan Dement. Dan, this is the first time that we've talked and I want to say six years, so good to see you again. Good to see you again, Chris. <laughs> so what has the 2023 season been like for you so far? I know this is just your second year with the Rays. Pretty special start. Now we're into the middle of the season, towards the second half even, and things are getting a little bit tougher, but how's it been for Dan Dement? Yeah, no, it's been, it's been overall, it's been great. Um, Second year has definitely been easier than the first year, and um, it's been enjoyable. We, we, we definitely got off to a really good start and um, slowed down a little bit here, here lately, but, you know, that's that's the game of baseball, and, and, and these guys are working hard, and they they, want, they definitely want to do good. So, um, you know, it's just sometimes it's just part of the game. What do you do as an assistant hitting coach when 
it feels like most of the team just isn't hitting the way that they were in the beginning of the season, and they're in a little bit of a slump right now. How do you tweak your game plan or your coaching methods? Just try to simplify everything and slow everything down. I mean, human nature, when things ain't going very good for a hitter, the, the one thing that you want to do is you want to swing harder, you want to swing more. You know, you end up chasing, and, and you're not as accurate with your barrel when you're swinging that hard. So, I mean, just really just trying to get guys to, to, to dial it down a little bit. It sounds crazy because you're like, well, you're struggling. You should try to pick it up. But in game of baseball, especially on the offensive side, like when, when, when you try too hard, the results are not there. Not not at this level where, where these guys can locate and they can expose you, um, you know, at, at any time pretty much. One of the guys who has been pretty consistent throughout the entire season and hit a home run in the All-Star game, his first All-Star game, and his first All-Star game at bat is Yandy Diaz. Just how impressed with Yandy have you been this season? It seems like he's taken his game to another level. Uh, Yandy, he's so special, man. I'll be talking about him the rest of my life, that's for sure. Not only just what kind of person he is and the energy and the, the happiness he brings every day to the field, but just how special of a player he is and what a professional hitter and a guy that, that I learned from just watching him do his routine and, and the other younger guys are, are when, when Yandy's hitting, all eyes are on Yandy. They, it's, it's a special thing to watch. It's, it's, it's a joy. I really feel like I'm lucky to, to be around him every day, and uh, he's definitely one of the guys I look forward to seeing every single day coming to the field. How do you think that he's gotten so good, though? Because when the Rays first acquired him from Cleveland, he wasn't the player that he is now. No, I just think that it takes it takes some time at this level to to mature and to figure out, like you know, what what, what, what you do good and what you don't do good, and you know, to, to keep just continue doing what you you're, what you should be. You know what I mean? Staying with your strengths. And it's one thing Yandy's always done. Yandy's never got away from his strengths. Yandy's strengths are hitting the ball hard, and using the whole field, and, and uh, earlier on this season we saw him getting some more balls in the air, which is is great, but I mean, Yandy is who Yandy is, and Yandy's a, a hitter. He's not a, a home run hitter. He does have, obviously, home run power, but Yandy's a hit overall hitter that likes to control the zone and use the whole field, and, um, you know, it's, it's enjoyable to watch, that's for sure. Let's talk about Jose Siri, a guy who had just seven home runs last year between his time with the Houston Astros and the Rays after coming over to Tampa Bay in a trade. He has 20-plus at this point this season, and we're just through the month of July, or just about anyway. What do you make of Jose Siri's 2023 campaign? It seems like a lot of the time it's home run or bust for him, and he's admitted that he likes to sit on the slider quite a bit, which is uh, unusual. But what do you make of Jose Siri? Oh, he's exciting. He's exciting. He can <laughs> he can get to any pitch anywhere and, and make it disappear, that's for sure. I mean... You know, he's gotten to the, some of the best fastballs in the game at, 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 at tough parts of the zone. You know, he's also hammered some off-speed pitch mistakes, too. And um, he's uh, he's an exciting player, and, and he's he's so strong, and the ball just jumps off his bat, really. I mean, all he has to do is touch it. Anytime that he starts trying to supply power is kind of like when you start seeing some of the chase. But when he's just trying to touch it, that's when you see all the good stuff. But, um, yeah, he's, he's special, too, man. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. And, um you know, I, I, when, when he's hitting, anything can happen at any time, that's for sure. Where do you think all this power is coming from, though? Because that's a big swing in home runs. Yeah, no, I think it's in. It's, it's been in there. I, I think he understands the strike zone better than he ever has. I, I think he's more comfortable than he ever has, and he understands he can just be who he wants to be right now. 
and go out there and have good at-bats for us and play center field like he does. I mean, I think he's in, in, in a good spot here, and I think that having that comfortability is what it is allowing him to, to, to be able to drive balls and have the success offensively that he's having. And finally, Luke Rayleigh is another guy who's having a sensational season. All you have to do is look at his numbers from last year to this year. He played well at AAA Durham last season, but then he got up here for a handful of games, and the average wasn't really there. There was some power, but this season he's taken his game to an entirely new level. So what has gotten into Luke Rayleigh in 2023? I think it's a little bit of the same, you know, that I, that I said earlier. He's he's uh, got another year of experience, and sometimes it takes a few minutes to, for guys to get comfortable here. And he, he, he's gotten comfortable, and he knows that he's a major league hitter. He's a major league baseball player, and this is where he belongs. And, and you know, sometimes it takes a minute for guys to, to really, truly understand that themselves, that, you know, from, from the inside, that they know that this is where they belong. And he doesn't have to do anything different. He can just go out there and be himself every day and, you know, just put the barrel on the ball and how strong he is and how good of a swing he's got and how good of a hitter he is. All he has to do is touch balls and he they're, they're, they're coming off the bat hot. <laughs> You're now the Rays assistant hitting coach. But before that, you were the Rays minor league hitting coordinator. And before that, you were a minor league hitting coach. And that's how you and I got to know each other with the Montgomery Biscuits, the Rays AA affiliate. What did you learn as being the Rays minor league hitting coordinator, though? That must have been kind of fun, bouncing around between the different levels. What was that like for you? Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of learning. I learned a lot, um, you know, having to – you know, be in charge of, of so many different hitters and also being in charge of different staff members. And, um, you know, it was, it was, I learned a lot. You know, it, a lot goes into, you know, seeing the bigger picture when you're a coordinator as opposed to being a, an affiliate hitting coach where, you know, you're really just worried about your guys, what's right in front of your face. When you're a coordinator, you're worried about, not worried, but concerned and, and have to oversee a lot of, a lot of other things. And, um, uh, I think it was a good experience for me, and, and I was glad to do it. Um, but I'm glad to be back uh, on the hitting coach side of having my guys right in front of me and, and trying to make sure I take care of them every day and have them ready to play um, every night. Now, I did not know this about you, Dan, and I probably should have because we spent a couple of years together in the Gump, but you are originally from Illinois. You're from the southern suburb of, is it Frankfurt or Frankfort? No, it's, it's Frankfort, but, yeah, it's a, a south suburb of Chicago. And you went two years to Rend Lake College, and then you transferred to UAB, and that's how you ended up in, in the Magic City, Birmingham, Alabama. And you still have your family there, right? Yep. So how did that come about, though, you transferring to go play for the Blazers at UAB? Uh, well, Rend Lake was junior college in southern Illinois, and, um, you know, after uh, growing up in, in Chicago and playing in, in southern Illinois for two years of junior college, I I decided that I was not going to be practicing in the gym anymore. I was over the snow and the cold weather, and I was going south. And um, UAB came, and, and UAB had a, a good team and played in a good conference and had a good schedule. And so I went to UAB to play my last two years and, and met my wife there. She's from Birmingham, and um, you know that's where we've uh, we've stayed. And now I have two daughters, one at Alabama and one that's going to be a junior at Hewitt Trustful High School. So. Um, you know, Alabama's my my new home. Uh-huh. Yeah, so can we get a Roll Tide from you right oh, yeah, now, or is yeah, that yeah. not going to happen? No, it's, you can get all the Roll Tides you want. <laughs> my money goes there, Roll Tide. What was that switch like for, for you, though, going from the cold of Illinois to the warmth and humidity of Alabama? I think that I was 
supposed to be in Alabama my whole life. That's where I, that's where my heart was. Like this is I knew that that was where I was supposed to be, and um, you know, it, it worked out. It worked out. And after your time at UAB, you weren't drafted by Tampa Bay, but you signed with them as a, a non-drafted free agent. So describe how that happened. I, I uh, played in the North Woods League for three years, the Woodbat Summer League, and Steve Foster, who was the pitching coach for a long time in the big leagues um, with the Rockies, and, and I think he was a bullpen coach with the Marlins. Um, he was a, a scout with the Rays, but he was uh, one of the years I was playing in the league, he managed the Wausau Woodchucks, um, one of the teams in, in the, the North Woods League, and then he became a scout And when I had not gotten drafted. And I never really had met Steve. He just knew who I was from playing against him. Um, they needed a, a senior infielder, that like college guy that can go and fill in. And uh, I ended up getting signed. I played five years with the Rays in the minor leagues and got minor league rule five to the Nationals and played three more years with them up to AAA. And then uh, uh, after I was done playing in 07, finished up school in 08, started coaching back with the Rays in 09. How thrilled were you, though, to get that opportunity to play minor league baseball initially? Yeah, I was happy, but that was something that I knew since I was a little kid that I was going to do. Like, not just play professional baseball, but I really wanted to you know, be a major league baseball player, and I knew I could do it. Um, fell a little short on the playing side, but I'm here now as a coach, you know, thank God. But, uh, you know, I, my whole life, it was baseball was it, so it wasn't like, uh, oh, I hope it happens, I hope it happens. It was some more of a mindset of, like, it's going to happen. Well, you made it to AAA with Washington, though, didn't you? So what was that the closest that you got it? And was there a time where you thought you were going to go up, but it didn't happen? I never – I thought there was maybe a shot in 05, uh, my first year at the Nationals, that I could, but it, it just it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, I gave it everything I had, and I did what I could do. And, um, you know, as a senior signed free agent, I, I surpassed a lot of the guys that got drafted before me, <laughs> sure. especially in my draft class. So I, I, I think – 90% of those guys were done playing, and I was still playing. So, I mean, I was proud of myself, but uh, honestly, I, w- I wasn't surprised. There was an article that I stumbled upon when doing research for this interview called Where Have You Gone, Dan Dement? And it was written by someone who used to cover the, the Princeton Rays way back when in, in West Virginia. I'm curious, what was your greatest minor league memory? Like something that you'll never forget. Well, my first, my first ever at bat in Princeton, I uh, it was a leadoff homer at home, leadoff two run homer at home. I mean, that's how kind of a hard one to forget. Like you probably thought this was going to be easy. Yeah, no, nah, I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I, but I honestly I wasn't surprised. I mean, a homer like I could, nobody can ever predict that. But you know, I, I felt really good, and I had I always had a lot to prove, you know, to myself and to other people. Um, so I kind of had that chip, and I was ready for I was ready for it. I was ready for it. And so I'm curious, growing up in southern Chicago, did you grow up a Cubs or a White Sox fan growing up, or maybe another team? I uh, grew up a White Sox fan. Favorite player? Um, God, I, it was nobody that was, like, it wasn't one White Sox player. It was, I usually had, it was, I had a bunch of favorite players, but, I mean, Chipper Jones was always one of my favorite. Craig Biggio was always one of my favorite. I love those two guys, just the way they played. But, you know, I had... Uh, Don Mattingly was always one of my favorites growing up, too. Got to see him play a lot in, in Chicago. Um, so th- th- those three guys, I would say, probably my top three favorite players growing up. We should also mention, you played in the first ever Montgomery Biscuits home game, didn't you? Yep, 2004. <laughs> I was there playing left field. Oh, we love it. Well, we thank you for the time, Dan DeMent. 
so generous with it. Best of luck the rest of the season. And we really appreciate Dan DeMent for taking the time to tell his tale that took him all the way from Illinois to Alabama to Florida. Coming up, Rays president of baseball operations, Eric Neander, joins the show. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays baseball, and we're joined now by Rays president of baseball operations, Mr. Eric Neander. Eric, thanks for taking the time. Happy to happy to do it. I don't know what uh, mental energy I'll have for you here, but happy to be on. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to say congratulations on making it through another trade deadline that came and went on Tuesday. I am wondering, do you look forward to the deadline at all, or is it super hectic most of the time? Yeah, I think, I mean, personally, I, I love it. I think our group really enjoys it. Uh, it's we, we talk about it, the, the month of July, especially with the draft being over the all-star break, it has, it's really, you know, you have these two marquee, events at least for people in our in our roles uh it you, you love those events you know the draft the deadline and everything around it's it's a blast but at the same time when they're that compressed on the calendar that close together it's it is a lot so it is um we say it's our it's our favorite month and our least favorite month all at the same time but uh we're through it and uh thankfully playing a little bit better here recently well, how chaotic was this year's deadline? And do you get a rush from it at all? I mean, having to make all these deals before a certain time? Yeah, I mean, there's a clock. You you, you have the ability to transact uh, until a point when you don't, or, you know, at least with major league players. And, and so you just, you really want to make the absolute most of the time that, that's remaining. It does serve as some sort of catalyst for conversations that just are nearly impossible for two sides to have, you know, even a few weeks earlier. Um, so it's, it is a lot of fun. It is, it is a blast. It's uh, demanding. It's, there's the fear of missing out on everything going on, but um, we love it, but we don't mind that it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the Rays had a tumultuous month of July, to say the very least, and we had Rays fans clamoring for a change, perhaps, and some of them saying, oh, I hope the Rays just go out and they go get Shohei Otani. Like, that would be an incredibly easy thing to do. I am curious, though, were you feeling any kind of pressure because of the Rays' tough month in July? No, look, it... it we moved a lot in the standings in a short period of time, and so... Um, we kind of were in a certain place in the standings with a comfortable division lead for a while, and that was stable. Uh, and then, and then things changed, and it, it forces you. You just need to be responsive. You need to adjust. Um, you know what that means for your behaviors and tolerances on on potential transactions. But we we have a lot of wonderful people. Uh, they're capable. They're able to anticipate. Um, lots of people that have lobster roles and keep us in a good place. And so, no, I think we, we kept up with it. You have to be responsive to where you are in the standings, but our actual belief in the club is no different now than it was at the beginning of the month. It was not a fun month. There's no way around that. Uh, a little better at the very tail end. But um, this is a team that the belief we had on it two months ago is no different than it is now. The standings are different. You have to adjust to that. But um, this is a team that had some clear needs. Uh, feel like we addressed the big one with Savali, and then even prior the the deadline, 
you get a lot of activity at the end. But Robert Stevenson was done in late May in anticipation of needs up through the deadline. Uh, grabbing Jake Diekman, kind of an opportunistic position once we got the unfortunate news on Clevenger. Sean Armstrong coming back. Those those three arms helped us not feel the pressure to have to get something done the last 24 hours with a reliever. And that's that makes life a lot easier uh, if you don't feel the need to do that. So, um yeah, we, we feel really good about where we are. This is a team, like I said, very high expectations for them and feel like we did what we needed to do to give them a good chance to win the division and go from there. Let's talk about Aaron Savali, who is the big prize from this year's deadline, even though it was made a couple days before the deadline came and went. How did that whole deal come about? Because he's certainly not a name that I think most fans know about and most fans heard about could potentially be involved in a trade with the Rays. Yeah. You put a really good uh, hitting prospect in play and it opens up some doors for you. So that was, that was part of it. Uh, We have, we have a great relationship with, with Cleveland, a lot of communication. Uh, We've done some deals in the past with them, but um, just, I, I, we certainly have a lot of respect for them. I believe it's mutual. And, and just through those relationships, through that trust, you're able to, you know, afford yourselves a lot more dialogue. And so we've had dialogue with them uh, off and on for a few months now about different possibilities. They've been a pitching factory for some, for some time here, certainly recently. Uh, and they've been looking for offense, not just now, but out into the future. And so with, you know, Jonathan Aranda potentially taking his game another level. Austin Shenton now in AAA doing a really good job. You know, someone like Xavier Isaac we took in the first round last year at first base underneath. We had a little surplus, so to speak, there um, on the prospect side, and we had a glaring need with our rotation. And so it it took a little bit to iterate and get it right. But like I said, those, that's where the relationships are really helpful. You have a partner that can work through that with you and ultimately got to something that was, I think, just a really good – baseball trade for lack of a better term for both sides and you take a look at his numbers even though he was injured at the beginning of the season Aaron Savali as it turns out I don't have to tell you this is really really good and he has been one of the better pitchers in the American League for the last handful of years how valuable do you think he's going to be to the race rotation uh based on the way we're set up now and that you can't go out and get any additional help these final two plus months (laughs) extremely helpful uh he is Pitched arguably the best that he has ever pitched here most recently uh, since coming back. I think the, the numbers speak to themselves, you know, for themselves. Um, we've watched him closely for some time. You know, he's somebody that, you know, uh, will bring in players and who might have a thought or an idea of how to help them take that next step for us. Uh, and I think Cashy talked about this here recently. Just just keep doing what you're doing. We'll be more than more than pleased with that. So you look back to the steps he made the middle of last season, look at his second half from last year, look at what he's done this year. Um, you know, just staying on the field, finding a routine, keeping him healthy will be big. Uh, I think that that's something that, that his routines, he's found some consistency in that that'll help him and uh, just keep the recent production rolling. Is it still tough to give up on a guy like Kyle Manzardo, though, who has had so much success since you guys drafted him out of Washington State only a couple of years ago? Yeah, very. Um, it's not something we do often. I think it has to be the right player at the right time coming back. The fact that Siv has you know a few years beyond this one, he's not a free agent at the end of the year, is a really big uh, consideration for us, just looking ahead at our starting pitching and, and what that might look like over the years ahead. But um, no, he's he, he's a good one. And I think, like I said, if not for 
some of the left-handed hitters around him that right or wrong, you know, helped us feel a little more insulated and protected against um, moving someone this with this type of potential. Um, it probably doesn't happen, but we did have those guys. We do have those guys. And uh, like I said, we, we had a need and it wasn't, it was going to be a high bar, but we found the, the right player for us to, to give up a really, really good player going the other way. And you guys made some smaller, more under-the-radar deals as well leading up to the deadline, including one with the Cubs that landed the Rays. Manuel Rodriguez, a guy who has been in the Chicago Cubs organization for a little while, as well as Adrian Sampson, although I think the plan is to release him from what uh, I've been reading. Future considerations as well coming for Josh Robertson and some international signing bonus pool money. What do you make of that deal? What do you guys like about Manny Rodriguez? Oh, that's where it helps to have a really good staff and a, and a deep staff that can do a lot of different things uh, all at once. So while we're on, you know, have a group really focused on Savale, we have other staff that have their ear to the ground to help us be in a position to improve our depth the rest of the way. You know, like what we talked about a minute ago, what you have now is basically what you have the rest of the way. So, um, you know, that deal, we, we had a need for some international money. We were able to get that in that deal. It's something we've been on the lookout for, for some time. And then Manny Rodriguez is an arm that, uh, our group has flagged and has been keeping a close eye on for a little while now is throwing the ball really well. And I just, you, you can never have enough, uh, relief pitcher depth, uh, you know, these last couple of months. And uh, we like him. I think he has a chance to potentially be in the mix and help us. And I think each each of the last several years, we've, we've picked up at least an arm, kind of an off-the-grid arm this time of year. Some of them have worked really well. Clevenger turned out great for us last year. Some of them um, not not quite to that degree, certainly. But it's just important to have depth. And, you know, similar the the move with – with Alex Jackson uh, was another one where just, you know, with, with Mejia still recovering from the knee, just want to be in a position where you feel like you're covered, you know, for injury, for unexpected changes in performance. And uh, he's someone that, um, you know, has had our attention for continuing to improve defensively and uh, can obviously do some things offensively as the numbers show. And he has some big league time as well with a number of different clubs. And he's a former first round draft choice. I believe it was sixth overall to the Mariners in 2014. Yeah. What does he bring to the table besides uh, catching depth? Oh, really athletic. He's, he's powerful. Uh, he can throw. He's uh, done a much better job receiving uh, and, and improving just to become a more well-rounded catcher. And he has major league experience. I think that that last part being around, being in some different places um, if you're calling on someone down the stretch, it is a little more comforting to have somebody that has has been through plenty at the big league level before. He hasn't gotten to the big leagues and really found that stable opportunity necessarily, but he's lived it, you know, and, and he's lived it in a lot of different places. And so just a, a skill set that we think if we got to call on him and it goes that way, uh, we'd be perfectly happy to do that. Um, in addition, you know, we've Blake Hunt's done a nice job. Nick Denny, we've got other guys, but you, it's a spot where you just you got to make sure you're covered, and, and he covers us while also having that major league experience, which is big. And then what about Luis Patino going to the White Sox for cash considerations? Yeah. Obviously, you guys acquired him in the deal with the Padres a number of years ago, and he, he just struggled with Tampa Bay, so – I yeah. guess there was enough evidence there where you guys felt okay about letting him go. Yeah, I mean, not me stinks. <laughs> you know, it's not not the way we uh, we envisioned that one that one going. Certainly, um, 
when we watched him get some opportunity with Pitts, uh, with, Pitt, with San Diego in 2020 down the stretch. Um, when we acquired him, some of the things he did with us in 21 felt like he did a really nice job. Um, but you know, last just last year didn't didn't go very well. Things backed up and um, tried a lot of different things um, to get him back on track this year, and we just we just struggled with it and. Uh, just as a player that's potentially out of, well, not potentially out of options after this season, um, having gone through the bullpen experience with him, I think there's a point. Look, he's young enough, he is athletic enough that wouldn't surprise any of us in the least that he he turns it around and gets himself going. But we were we were running out of time on the calendar we had uh, to, and with the limited opportunity we had uh, to see it through here. So a tough decision, nothing, not the outcome we wanted, um, but really appreciate Louie and think he landed in a spot that will uh, give him the best chance to establish himself and wish him nothing but the best, certainly. And last question before I get you out of here, all in all, you think it was a successful trade deadline for the Tampa Bay Rays? Let's, let's give it a little time and root for those good outcomes. Uh, and, then, and then we'll see. But yeah, look, we, it was, it wasn't the easiest deadline, I think in terms of the inventory that was out there and the number of teams that were interested in it, we anticipated for a few months that it was likely to be a struggle. And that was, again, the, the Robert Stevenson move early um, was, was very much um, with that anticipation in mind. To come out of it with someone like Aaron Savali and deal from an area of depth in our system to get that done, that's that's certainly a really satisfying outcome. But now it's let's let's go out, let's play good baseball, and you never know. The we're not we're not much a different team from the one that did what it did the first few months of the season. The one in July, uh, a pretty big gap in there. So. Uh, it'll be nice just to put all the speculation aside, get back to it. We've, we've won a few big series here on the road, and uh, it's, it's time to go. This team has everything it needs to win the division, in our opinion, uh, with some protection underneath, and now it's time to go back and just play, and hopefully we all get to enjoy a special ride here. Rays President of Baseball Operations, Eric Neander, thank you so much for joining us on this week in Rays Baseball. Best of luck the rest of the year, and we will definitely be talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. I mean, we certainly appreciate the time of Eric Neander as the Rays prepare to wrap up their nine-game road trip and head back to Tropicana Field. We'll go to another break, but when we return, Rays beat reporter Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joins the program live from Detroit to talk to us about the team's current nine-game road trip, Tuesday's trade deadline, and a whole lot more. That's all on the other side of this break on the Rays Baseball Network. And welcome back to this week in Rays Baseball. I'm Chris Adams-Wall, and I'm joined now by Rays beat reporter Mark Topkin, Mark Topkin, there we go, of the Tampa Bay Times, who is coming to us live from Comerica Park in Detroit. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. I mean, sitting in the radio booth, I think I'm sitting in the famous seat of Neil Solon. So, I mean, this is impressive <laughs> stuff you guys got here, big time. It really is. And the Rays have had a really impressive road trip. Their nine-game swing through Houston, New York, and now Detroit. What do you think? you think it's been successful so far? I, I think it has. And, and you know, Chris, uh, Kevin Cash doesn't use the phrase like big game very often but he did say in his pregame media session today that he saw this as a big game because it is a rare chance to win three series on the same road trip I mean that's hard to do uh the Rays obviously had been playing poorly up until that point he feels like they've kind of put that uh, stretch behind them he's actually said a couple times like he's trying to speak it into existence like we put that behind us we're on the other side of it now he said that a few times and I, I think he sees this as an opportunity 
with a win here today to have gone two and one, two and one, two and one to really feel good about themselves as they hit home. And you can't predict things, but they're in a little bit of a softer stretch of the schedule now after what was a pretty rugged stretch. If you look at the teams they're playing, obviously this Tigers team, which they've got to win today to win this series. The Cardinals are a struggling team. The Guardians have been up and down a little bit. The Giants have been up and down a little bit. The Angels have been up and down a little bit. So the next handful of teams, don't I don't think they feel like they're playing that upper echelon that they were going through a while ago. Let's talk about what happened yesterday. The Rays obviously lost 4-2. to two. It was Aaron Savali's first start as a Tampa Bay Ray, though. Not a great start, but... Not really a bad start either, necessarily. What did you make of it? Yeah, I was kind of in that. What's the word the cool guys use? Meh. Meh or tweener? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, it was mid. Um, <laughs> trying to use all these hip words with you being the new, <laughs> yeah. young, you, you being the new young guy in town. Here. I barely know these words, but yeah. Yeah, well, g- Google them. It's, it's fun. <laughs> I faked my way through it that way, too. Um, yeah, like, I mean, you, my initial reaction was it wasn't good. He gave up nine hits, so it was matched the most he'd given up all year. He didn't get out of the fifth inning. He needed 90 pitches to get 13 outs. He gave up the three runs. He gave up, and it was only a one nothing lead, but he gave up the lead right after they got it. Like, just the little things that usually are markers of a good start or a bad start. He's like on the wrong side. You know, and then Kevin Cash is going to spin in a little bit, obviously, but you listen to him and kind of say that the velocities were where they thought they were, the locations were where they thought they were, the repertoire was good. You know, some of those were soft hits of the nine hits, six were singles. There were four of them were leadoff singles, though, too. Probably an issue of concern. Uh, you know, he got beat twice by the number nine hitter, who we, we find out after the game is actually his old roommate in the Cape Cod League and, and kind of a friend of his. So a little bit of that back and forth going on. But so I, I don't know. I'd say it was average, okay, not horrible, not great, somewhere in the middle there. You'd say it was mid, I guess. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we talked to Eric Neander, though, the Rays president of baseball operations, about what the Rays did at the trade line, trade deadline. How did you feel about how they did? I mean, Savali, obviously the big prize, but what did you make of it overall? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I guess you, you go into it thinking that, you know, look, it started this a couple weeks ago, the speculation they were going to be in on Shohei Otani, right? He ends up not getting traded, so whether the Rays would have or would not have been a serious player, we'll, we'll never know, and, and it never came to that. But, you know, I, I do think there was at least, you know, lay it off on the fans here, but there was an expectation that the Rays were going to be more aggressive. They were going to go out and do more. Hearing Eric Neander, your interview with him was really good. He, he said a few things on there. I think he was a little more open about now after the deadline than he was. He was a little more guarded going into the deadline. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of choices. The big thing for them was if they were going to give up as big of a piece as Manzardo or someone like that, someone from that category, they didn't just want a rental pitcher. And Pete Bendix pointed out a couple times, he kind of challenged us, go, go look at the list of guys that were traded and see what other pitchers were traded with two more years of control. And I, I don't think there were any other, mm-hmm. at least certainly not, that are established big leaguers now. You know, the prospects are different categories. So they had a, a very narrow lane they were trying to fill. If they were going to pay a high price, they wanted a guy that they had for more than this year. So that took a lot of those guys off the board that were rentals and left them in a position to get somebody. They feel really good about Savali. Um, look, and the other thing is bad timing. If Shane McClanahan forearm tightness happens Monday instead of Wednesday or in his last start the previous week, Maybe they accelerate things. Maybe they go out and get another starting pitcher, or maybe they get a lower-level guy than, you know, they go get two rental guys instead of one long-term guy. You know, remarket their assets and do a different thing. So bad timing there. They needed to get a fourth catcher. Maybe they could have done a little better, but Alex Jackson's the guy who's played in the big leagues. He's off the roster, so that helps. They didn't have to make a roster spot for him. Uh, they always seem to find somebody at the deadline, a pitcher. Usually it's a roster bullpen guy. This time Manny Rodriguez, an off-the-roster guy again. So... 
some depth they can add to the system. We just saw they claimed Cole Sulcer on waivers yesterday. So they'll have some guys that they have depth to the system. But they didn't go out and get a big league reliever. Uh, they didn't get a big league catcher. They did get a big league pitcher that they feel pretty good about. And, you know, let's give Aaron Savali a few starts here. His next one, it looks like, by the way, will be against the Cleveland Guardians on Friday night. So that'll certainly be interesting, and then we'll have a little storyline there to work with. And before we wrap up this segment, let's preview the upcoming homestand. The St. Louis Cardinals are not your father's St. Louis Cardinals, shall we say. They're having a horrible year, and Cleveland's been up and down. Looks like the opportunity is ripe for the Rays to, I don't know, win a few more series. Yeah, and, and like, you know, we saw them early in the year. They were just dominant at home. And they kind of, you know, that kind of went away during that rough July they had. And, and having the Phillies, who were playing really well at the time, and the Braves come in was certainly a part of that, right? I mean, there was no doubt those were some tough series for them. But they've got to get back to that feeling of confidence where they kind of own the trop where they know they're going to play well. Attendance has been good. It's been up like 30% this year. Uh, so there's been some excitement at the ballpark. I, or maybe, you know what? What else is new this year? Maybe people have just been coming to see you since you got hired in midseason. <laughs> it's the Chris Adams wall attendance boost. I don't think that that's okay. what it is, maybe, but I appreciate maybe. it. Yeah. So look, they, they've got a good environment there. They've got something going. They need to kind of get back to winning at home. They have some opponents, like you say, that are a little bit more beatable. Uh, the Cardinals traded several of their pitchers, and I think we're going to see uh, the Adam Libitor versus Randy Arozarena matchup during that wow. series. The guys that were traded for each other, Guardians Kevin Kelly against his old team, and now Aaron Savali. So there's going to be some storylines there, but the Rays are in, and Cash said this the other day, they are in a mode of they just got to win ball games. They are, you know, they went from leading the majors to falling behind the Orioles here, and the Orioles don't, they seem one of those teams that just doesn't ever seem to lose, right? So the Rays are going to have to make up some ground. They play them. Uh, four games in September in Baltimore, but I don't think you want to wait till then to try to gain ground. Not at all. Well, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, thanks so much for joining us. I think my performance was kind of meh. I thought yours was great, though, so thank uh, you. I was probably a little mid. <laughs> <laughs> and we certainly appreciate Mark Topkin's time on This Week in Rays Baseball for offering all of his insight. We also want to thank our other guests on the show today, including Rays righty Tyler Glass now for sharing his thoughts on the season, traveling and his resemblance to Cillian Murphy as well as Rays assistant hitting coach Dan DeMent for discussing his journey to Tampa Bay. We also want to thank Rays president of baseball operations Eric Neander for taking the time to give us an inside look to last Tuesday's trade deadline. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show all you have to do is tweet me and you can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall and at Rays Radio. Thanks to Jason Berenger back at our network studios, plus on-site assistance from Al Rosenberg, Andy Fried, and Neil Solons, as well as additional help from Chris Miller, Becca Carney, Parker Welch, and Alex Fuse. I'm Chris Adams-Wall. We're getting ready for Rays Tigers. Enjoy the game, everybody. We'll talk to you in a minute. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.